Welcome to He's Dead Jim, the podcast where we travel back through Star Trek, the original series, one episode at a time. I'm Mick McConnell, and this is my favourite time of the week because I get to talk sci-fi with my New York pal, Emily Lind. G'day, Emily. Hello. Good evening. How was your Saturday in the Alpha Quadrant? Uh, it's been uneventful, and I've done absolutely like nothing productive at all so it's been pretty good how are you doing that's that sounds like the perfect saturday <laughs> I'm, I'm doing well um it's been our saturday took the kids out hiking so we had the had an energetic saturday morning but in the afternoon i got to um got to finally watch that first episode of lost in space uh, which oh how cool. was it i like it I'm, I'm invested. I, having only seen one episode, I'm, uh, there's, there's enough enough in there to get me hooked to watch a couple more, which is a good start. Have you, have you seen it yet? No. I'm so behind on so much stuff right now that I can't start another show. Yeah, so am I. It's starting to get stressful watching all this TV. Emily, it's a very exciting week this week on He's Dead Jim because we've got our first ever guest uh, all the way Yay. from Melbourne, from the Star Wars Appreciation Society of Australia's podcast, Star Talking. That's a big mouthful. Please welcome Catherine Neen. Hello, everyone. Hello, Catherine. Thank you so much for joining us on Sunday morning, Australian time. Oh, thanks for having me. Now It's a great way to spend a Sunday. Thank you very much. Now, um, so you're a regular on Star Talking, um, and of course, that's a Star. We've got to make the clarification: that's a Star Wars podcast, not a Star Trek podcast. But we yes. love we love all the franchises here at He's Dead Jim. Yes, we're very inclusive. I love all franchises, um, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's a monthly podcast run by the Star Wars um, fan club of Australia and so yeah me and three guys talk about Star Wars and it goes to some strange places sometimes like the time we were talking about how you would measure time it got a bit exoceric like weird mm. nice I love that sort of detail yeah <laughs> very good so I highly recommend it if you're into Star Wars and also if you're in Australia and you're into Star Wars I highly recommend joining Star Walking. Uh, it's a great club. I'm in Brisbane, so I'm nowhere near the events they have in Sydney and Melbourne, but it's still worth, it's like 10 bucks a year, and it's uh, it's definitely worth that just for the, the newsletter alone. Uh, and I, um, I make it down usually for the big midnight premieres. I won't be there for solo this year. Uh, but uh, I guess, so I guess on start talking you'd be spending you'd be gearing up for solo now uh yeah definitely we've been talking a lot of solo but waiting for um when we can release tickets but definitely we've got the midnight premiere coming up so that will be a big one but then there's a great big wait till episode nine like 18 months or something it's way too long wow yeah so, so episode nine, that's due to come out in December again? Yes, yes, last I've like heard, that. yeah. Excellent. For selfish reasons, I love my annual tradition of a, <laughs> uh, a quick Melbourne trip in December. 
oh, yeah, I like the December release for completely selfish reasons. It suits me better having it released in December. I don't care about the rest of the world. It's all about me. Very exciting. I like Star Wars Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, it's So great. good. We had a good run there, Star Wars, new Star Wars movie for Christmas every year for a few years. A good run. As someone who loves like Star Wars and Christmas and new Christmas decorations on the tree, being able to put Star Wars decorations on the tree is just such a melding of two wonderful things. Fantastic. So exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you feeling about Solo? Um, I'm pretty optimistic. I think it looks heaps of fun and I think that's what we need, like just a real flat-out fun Star Wars movie and this looks like it will be it. And Ron Howard, safe pair of hands, I'm pretty confident. Emily, you're also a um, Star Wars podcaster. How are you feeling about Solo? Um... There's stuff that I'm really excited about. Um, like I'm super excited for Lando. For Lando, I mean, yeah, and I think I think Donald Glover is a sure bet. And I think the bad guys look pretty cool. And there's some like that train sequence that's all over the trailers. I really like. On the whole, I'm still I'm still cautious. Like I don't think I'll hate this movie anymore. I was a little bit worried that I would hate it. And then I'm like, what am I going to talk about on the podcast for the next year? But I don't know. I think I, th- I, I'm just, I don't know. I don't want to get my hopes high up on this one. Looks pretty exciting. I, I'm a huge Lando fan and I was, I was a little bit disappointed not to see any Lando in The Force Awakens. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see young Lando. I haven't paid enough attention to the trailer. Is it, I hope he's wearing his cape. Oh, yeah. There is a cape? Oh, there is a cape. Excellent. More than one cape. Wonderful. That man rocks a beautiful cape. And a fur coat. Nice. Nice, very good. I better go back and watch the trailer. How do I not know this detail? What kind of sci-fi fan am I? Anyway, this is a lot of, a lot of Star Wars talk for a Star Trek podcast. Catherine, uh, how did you get into Star Trek? Well, I remember um, watching the movies like on the weekend. You know how Channel 7 would put like some Star Trek movies on the weekend sometimes. I remember watching especially you know, Star Trek Four: Voyage Home, watching that on a weekend. And then Next Generation came out. And because I had a massive crush on Will Wheaton, that's right. I'm a huge Wesley Crusher fan. I'm that person. Oh, my gosh. Um, I got into Next Generation and then it all blossomed from there. So this was during the original run on TV? Yeah. Yeah, whenever Channel 9 decided to show it. It was probably um, late 80s um, as a summer replacement probably. Ah, okay. Okay. Was that in prime time or like most Channel 9, <laughs> what they did with most Star Trek and good shows, they put them on at random hours like 3 a.m. or yeah. 1 a.m. You have to check the check the guide and set yeah, your VCR. Um, because it started during the summer, I think it started 
you know, that 7.30 type of time slot. But then, yeah, would have moved to 11 o'clock. I have a lot of memories of um, learning how to program my VCR in order to record um, yeah, um, next gen and, and Deep Space Nine. With Deep Space Nine on a Thursday night, um, try and record it after the footy show. Like, Emily, you don't know this, but the footy show is a show about either rugby league or AFL. Oh, I know what it is. I listen to a lot of Australian podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so I was um, I had to wait till after the AFL footy show and it would run at least half an hour over time every week. So you'd have to set up your video to record at least like two to three hours of, of um, late night television in order to find that Deep Space Nine episode because you never knew how long the footy shows would run over. Yes, it was an art. Children, ask your parents about setting the VCR. It was a horrible time. Did you did you write any letters to the green guy <laughs> to complain about the footy show running I should long? have. I should have in, re- in retrospect. I should have. There were enough letters about the footy show probably. But um, it was very frustrating. So were you finding you often uh, missed out half the second half of an episode but got a bonus half hour of Sam Newman? Yes. Yes, quite Yuck. often. Um, but I ended up watching um, probably most of Deep Space Nine and Voyager through hiring the videos through my video shop, you know, a couple at a time and and just chugging it through that way. Nice. Yeah, and original series, I've sort of caught the odd episode here and there and um, and sometimes watching them repeats, but I probably got to know them best through the movies. So, yes, Voyage Home, that holds a special place, and, of course, Wrath of Khan. You can't go past Wrath of Khan. It's the best movie. So Wrath of Khan's your favourite? Oh, it's got the best moment in it. Yeah. In all of cinematic history. (laughs) (laughs) Best shat in the moment. Yeah, yeah. In all of Earth's history. (laughs) So so who are your who are your some of who are some of your favorites in Star Trek, just in any of the series? Um probably some of my favorites are from Deep Space Nines and I love engineers like Geordie LaForge, Belana Torres and um O'Brien. I love O'Brien. Um, yeah, you know, Dr. Bashir, he's, I think, yeah. one of the best doctors, like, very well-rounded. But watching some of the latter series of um, Next Generation, I'm appreciating Beverly Crusher more and more, how, you know, independent she was. What a strong woman. She's she's great. But um, I think I've always identified with the engineers and in my own head when I was always imagining new Trek series spin-offs I I think I always cast myself as an engineer which is I don't know what it says about me but that's what I did um 
I don't know who my favourite captain is. It changes. I think I'd want to serve under Picard, but Cisco would would help me survive. You know, Cisco would fight for my life. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to mess with Cisco. He punched Q in the face. Oh, it's such a good moment. Oh, it's great. Oh, wow. I've, I've got to catch up on Deep Space Nine. Yes. You guys have got me interested. Yeah, it's great. So, yeah, Star Trek captains, have a, they have a lot of very admirable qualities. Like, they are real role models. Almost. Definitely Cisco and Picard, anyway. Definitely. And I always thought Janeway was great as well. You know, obviously being the first female captain, she has a lot on her shoulders. But I really enjoyed Janeway and um, – Enjoy. I enjoy now watching the actress on Orange Is the New Black for a oh yes <laughs> very different character, but she's fantastic. But um, yeah, definitely those those captains were my favourite. I don't want to put shade on um, Captain Archer, but he he's not up there for me. Yeah, he's he's good fun, Captain Archer, but he yeah he's pretty reckless, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, a bit clueless at times. Um, but it was, he did have a very cute beagle. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, and that series was up and down for me. Um, the, the theme music, I, I remember one day walking into David Jones, the department store, and the music over the PA was that song. And, and I just cracked up laughing and I couldn't explain to anyone why I was laughing. <laughs> it was a cover, wasn't it? It was sung by Russell Watson, who's like a UK tenor or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think it's like when the closing music from Patch Adams. <laughs> I, I don't know where I know that from, but... Somehow I do. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't very Star Trek. I mean, you know, good on them for trying new things. But it was interesting, that series, like it wasn't branded as Star Trek either. It's just branded as Enterprise. Yeah. Which I guess, hang I on, that- was Voyager branded? Voyager was just – Voyager was Star Trek Voyager, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was the first one where they dropped the Star Trek brand, gone for rock music with like a big power ballad. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't call that rock music. Okay, whatever it is. Faith of the heart. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> whatever it is. Um, adult contemporary is probably what they folded yes. under in record stores yeah. when they existed. Uh, yeah. And then I think about halfway through, they sort of tried to reboot the series or fix things a little bit. And then um, all of a sudden, it was the, the titles were changed to Star Trek Enterprise about. Three sep- three episodes into the third series, I think. Oh, there was a change at some point. I have to admit, I didn't really register the change. Uh, at that point, I was just trying to get through it. I wasn't <laughs> enjoying it heaps. You know how you, you know you like some characters, other characters bug you, and I have to admit, uh, the Klingons in there and the subplot that they had in there just bugged me quite a lot. 
because there's a whole subplot with um, with Khan or not? Is it with Khan or at least with the eugenics type of program? Yeah, it just got too complicated and annoying. But at the very very end, they crossed over. They had some Mirror Universe episodes, which were awesome. And then they had the final episode, which was not. It was not good. I always, I always really liked the the Mirror Universe. They did quite a bit with that on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it was great on Deep Space Nine. Um, always killing a Ferengi. Deep Space Nine was great because it was. I mean, Deep Space Nine was weird. With the mirror universe, it, it went places because you get like you get you get Kira flirting with herself, and it's really it's a bizarre like thing for a I mean oh, ostensibly wow. like a family sci-fi show. Yeah, it went very extreme and violent and dark. It was awesome, but Deep Space Nine just overall was just a a great show. Yeah, Mick, you've got to go back. I, I, I will. I will. I will. I got. A, I was about halfway through Enterprise, and then uh, we started this project. So I'm going to uh, once we. Well, we'll have to. We we'll have to have a chat We've, when we get to the mailbag later. There's people asking about what our future plans are. So we'll talk about which series we're going to do next if we survive the original series. Uh, release order. Always release order. Release order. That means we have to do the animated series. I'm not doing the animated series. Okay. It's decided. Thank God. <laughs> Maybe we can do a special, one special episode on the animated series. Have you guys watched much of it? I've I've never seen a full episode. I've only ever seen little clips of it. Yeah, me too. I've seen like half of the first episode, I think. And I think one of them literally yeah, has the devil in it. Oh, really? Wow. that's. Uh... I think so. That's a bit of a twist for secular yeah. Star Trek. Yeah, it's weird. The um, episode I remember, though, was centred on Spock, but on his childhood, like his um, rites of passage. So that one, if you're going to watch any episode, perhaps that one, I can't remember the name of it. That one might be a good awesome. one. Awesome. I might, I might check that out as um, I'll just dive into that one. It sounds like a good idea. Um, just quickly before we get on to the episode, I'll just say so you mentioned you're a big Wesley Crusher fan. Yes. How did you feel when he was kind of written out of the show? I wasn't upset about it. Um, I think I wanted him back a few more times. And there is a reason why the – God, this is embarrassing. The only um, – videotape I own of episodes of The Next Generation is The Game. Yes, I, I look back at it now and I see how many problems it has. But Okay, but I legit love that episode. <laughs> it's, it's kind of awesome. I love it. <laughs> Can you um, remind us about The Game? Okay, so Wesley's back on the Enterprise on a break from Starfleet Academy and everyone on the ship has become addicted to this game where you put little, it's like a, a headband thing on your head. Ah, uh, yes. And you play this game where you're putting, okay, everyone, 
innuendo starting, you're putting a ball into a giant funnel <laughs> and then you get a bit of pleasure from it. <laughs> so dodgy. <laughs> yeah, so as an adult, I can now watch that and go, oh, okay, that's what it was about. Yeah, so I didn't. It 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 went a bit over my head when I first watched that episode, but um, yes, now I can laugh at their O faces that, <laughs> that the crew makes. Um, how like how did you feel Wes- Wesley's character developed? Like, had he had he, had he improved? Had he made? Um, I'm forgetting the actor's name now. Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. How could I forget Will Wheaton? Uh, had Will Wheaton sort of made changes? Do you think when he when he was playing Wesley as a as a college student? I think they did start writing him a bit differently, made him a bit less of a, a know it all. But to be honest, when I first started watching it, I didn't see the problems. So even going back and watching those episodes now. I'm still coloured by that experience. I don't see the major issues. Um, it is weird to have a ostensibly a child on the bridge, but um, I thought he developed in a int- very interesting direction where they left him in his last episode in season seven with the Traveller, and that was something that they were going to revisit, but they never did. That's fascinating. So he sort of... He becomes basically a college dropout with uh, – he's got some sort of awesome mental powers. Is that right? Yeah, that he Or he can up travel with, through time or something? Yeah, the, the traveller was, yeah, just uh, someone who could travel um, from place to place very quickly. I'm not quite sure if he was through time as well. It wasn't quite Q level, but definitely um, very, very powerful. And so he was developing Wesley's mental powers in that direction. I see. Fascinating. Mm. Um, Because I've heard, like, the things I've heard and read about uh, Wesley Crusher is, you know, people sort of speculate he was a Mary Sue for – for Eugene, Eugene Roddenberry rather than the viewer as the writer and the creator, you know, sort of casting himself in the show? Yeah, like I guess I guess so that, um, you know, having a, a kid to sort of get the teen audiences in maybe, but um, I think most of the Trek series do have – at least one character who's incredibly smart, like smarter than the rest of the crew. I think if you break it down, every series has got that. Even Spock in the original series could be considered that sort of, you know, coming up with all the solutions, knowing everything type of character. Yeah. And when you look at things, Wesley didn't save the ship very much. Yeah, he wasn't the character who came up with everything. So is it more just the criticism that he could he was a kid on the that was yeah. on the bridge is promoted. So he, he was essentially an officer, wasn't he? 
Um, Somehow. He's prepared to be an officer when he was very young and he's able to fly the ship and do everything. Yes, yes. He was on some kind of, I don't know, like a internship or something. So maybe maybe nerds that aren't Wesley fans, maybe they're jealous. Yes, yes. We'll we'll say that's what it is, jealousy. (laughs) I want to be on the bridge, not this punk kid. Yeah, yeah. Because that's where everyone wants to be on on Star Trek. You don't want to be just stuck in, you know, astromech or um, or just climbing through Jeffrey tubes. You you want to be on the bridge or in engineering, apparently. Yeah, yeah, engineering. That's where the party's at. Um, I think. I've got a family history of engineering and my brain. I did go to university to become an engineer. So I think I always identified with that engineers, getting it done, um, fixing everything, being handed a problem and bam, coming up with a solution very quickly. Nice. My wife walked past and saw Scotty when I was watching this week's episode and said, you know, he's quite a good looking man, actually. He just had terrible hair. If only he did something about his hair. And I'm like, you know, he's an engineer. He doesn't have time to muck around and have nice hair. He's busy so he's busy fixing things. Yeah, he's not a miracle worker. That's it. <laughs> doesn't have time for Kirk, Kirk level hair. No. So this week we watched uh, the second pilot where no man has gone before. And I see straight away at the start of this episode, the um, Enterprise crew are back in their pilot jumpers. But this is, uh, of course, the first recorded episode with Kirk. Yeah, it was definitely weird going from watching the last couple of episodes to watching this one where the um, uniforms had jumped back to that original pilot and the jumpers were a strange colour. Yeah, and like you get a different doctor, and like it's it's one thing to watch this now because of course we have the internet and it's easy to look up and and know what happened. But if you were just watching this on TV in the '60s, suddenly half the characters are gone and everybody's in different uniforms. Yeah, and the yeah, obviously the. Production values are slightly cheaper. It looks like you know cheaper film stock or not as good lighting or something like that. Um, so this is the, the the third episode that TV audiences saw, and it's the, the fourth one if you're watching along with us on Netflix. Um, and so they have made a couple of changes. So we know for the from the first pilot, the TV execs rejected it with. Captain Christopher Pike, they said the episode was um, not exciting enough, too cerebral, not enough action, allegedly, according to Wikipedia anyway. Um, so this episode, they've made a couple of changes. I've noticed they've, they've coloured the bridge. Um, you know, they've put some nice red detailing that we get in the, the other series eps. Um uh, what else do we get? So we don't have McCoy yet. We've got a, another doctor, so not the different actor from the original pilot. Yeah, there's no Uhura yet. 
No, that's right. But we do get a Scotty, which... Is this actually the first time we've seen Scotty this I series? I think so. Because I believe... I mean, I can't imagine I wouldn't have not mentioned it before because he's my favourite. So it opens with um, Spock and Kirk playing 3D chess. And um, Kirk's asking Spock if he's frustrated and Spock makes a quip about, ah, I think I've heard of that human emotion, frustration. Kirk's teasing Spock. There's a bit of back and forth. And then um, Spock says, just because one of my ancestors married a human female. Yeah, which is funny because in in the very next episode, that's Kirk's, I mean, that's Spock's like half human. Yeah, that's right. So one of his ancestors being his dad and the human female being his mum. Well. So they obviously haven't <laughs> quite figured out the family tree yet in the writer's room. From a certain point of view. Certain point of view, yeah. <laughs> so I guess I guess you could sort of say that um, you could say that's cold Vulcan logic. <laughs> it refers to his parents as some of his ancestors. <laughs> I I had to have to note that Spock's skin here still looked that very yellowish greenish, as opposed to how he looks, um, you know, not in this pilot. That it it was very off putting to me, especially in this scene, how yellow. Yeah, and his his eyebrows seem extra intense. That, they They're were crazy. Version one of the eyebrows. I haven't quite figured that out. Mm-hmm. The way um, Leonard Nimoy plays Spock is quite different in this. That's another thing that's a bit jarring between the episodes is, like, Spock has the cold logic, but he doesn't really hide his emotions. He smiles. He's quite intense and quite angry in a lot of this. Like, he doesn't have that calm, you know, emotionless um, state yet. Yeah, they definitely haven't quite worked out Spock yet. They're close, but they haven't quite worked him out. Yeah, which makes sense. Again, this is a a pilot episode, I guess, but just jarring to have it slotted in at number three. Um, So they find they're basically the, the Enterprise is preparing to leave the galaxy, which is exciting. I guess that's an exciting premise for your, your pilot. Um, and they find an old ship recorder that's um, somewhere out near the galaxy's edge where they are from the SS Valiant, which apparently was destroyed 200 years ago, and they beam it aboard, and uh, instantly it starts um, starts transmitting, and they it's very badly damaged, it's very badly burnt, so they, they realise the Valiant was destroyed pretty violently and uh, they try and Spock tries to recover some information from it to find out what happened. We get a couple of episodes where the Enterprise is about to leave the galaxy, don't we? I think so. Yeah. So we know from future seasons of Star Trek that the, obviously the galaxy is very big and it takes a long time to traverse these great distances. So we know from Voyager that the Delta Quadrant's very hard to get to and very hard to get back from. 
you can't travel there by normal means. Um, but I guess so that they're, they're obviously leaving the galaxy at the the edge of the Alpha Quadrant, I'm guessing. I mean, it's never really explained to any great detail. I mean, they, they throw around, like, the Delta Quadrant and, you know, with Deep Nami, you get the Gamma Quadrant through the wormhole, but they don't they don't put much effort into explaining what that means. Yeah. Have, have, can you remember any episodes where they actually visited someone in another galaxy? I mean, not by... Not that it was referred to. I know later on the original series there's people from Andromeda that are in you know, the Alpha Quadrant, and they try and take over the Enterprise and they um, soup, soup up the engines so they can make it out, make it back to their galaxy. So I think they almost get to Andromeda. I think you could definitely tell the writers were just using words like galaxy without having the, the scientific advisors yeah. with them just because the word galaxy is what, the, the public might know. Sounds good. And I guess there, there's probably a little bit of tension and panic around making this pilot fly for the executives. Yeah. So it's an exciting one when they're about to leave the galaxy. And we meet Gary Mitchell, who uh, appears to be good friends with Kirk and he enjoys a bit of friendly banter with um, Kirk and Spock. And he's piloting the Enterprise as they prepare to leave the galaxy. We get uh, a few of the officers on the bridge. Apparently, Kirk's asked them all to attend, all the heads of departments to attend while the, the ship's making it out of the galaxy. And so we see our different doctor. I don't think we get the doctor's name. And we meet Dr. Denner which is a, she's a psychiatrist and she's there to study the crew. Spock listens to audio from the ship recorder and then recounts it to, you know, the rest of the people on the bridge in a very intense way. So he's got his earpiece in. Uh, we know that the, um, the ship encountered, uh, what's our ship again? We know that the Valiant encountered an unknown force and uh, there's a lot of, chatter and the uh, recordings about ESP and trying to find out information from the ship's computer about ESP. So it appears the Valiant crew or some of them were affected by some special ESP powers. And then uh, the some of the crew, or, uh, it, it sounds like the captain at some point made the call to cause the ship to self-destruct. So we know something full-on went down on the Valiant. And we see the Enterprise um, prepare to leave the galaxy through this purple force field, which looks quite a pretty sort of phenomena. So some of the special effects shots seem to be replaced by CGI. Yeah, they, um, they remastered a lot of stuff um, a few years ago. And that's, except I think there's like, from what I was reading online, there's like one or two episodes of the original series that aren't the remastered ones, but most of them are. The original thing that you see, because I, I saw some side-by-side, side, it's really just like this beam of, of purplish light 
like that just goes across the center of the view screen. Do you know roughly which decade they remastered it? Was it two thousands? Oh, it was. It was like yeah. It was maybe like t- ten years ago. Yeah. Okay. Oh, the, like the CGI is pretty good, and they they've really. The, the only ones I've noticed are just sort of the exteriors of the ship flying around and the, the galaxies and black holes and purple barriers, whatever the phenomena they see. So I think they've done it quite well. It's not it's not jarring and it, it looks good. Now I have a question for both of you, which when when Kirk asks the the doctor, the psychiatrist, about ESP and at first she's like, well, I tested really highly in it. And he's like, no, no, what do you know about it? I don't know why it strikes me as so weird in, in Star Trek where you have, like, alien species who can who can read minds and that I have no problem with. But for some reason, the humans with the ESP really bothered me. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? I wonder if... Like the idea of ESP was more popular in the 60s? Yeah, it struck me as well. Like in my notes, I have something about the ESP ratings. Is that a thing? You know, it, are they testing for that? And and to, yeah, it sounds very, very strange. I think if they gave it a different name, somehow I might be more accepting. But, yeah, is was ESP just something that was very hip and now in the 60s and and they thought was something so they've put it in star trek thinking it would be continuing to be something whereas now we look at esp with shall i just say a grain of salt that's it it sounds like the yeah all of the crew have a they're all like on their medical file or whatever, they have their ESP rating recorded, just like a, an IQ score. Yeah, that was just one of the things. And it wasn't even something you had to do a deep dive into their records for. It was very prominently one of the first things you saw about them on their medical files. Which is <laughs> hilarious. So when they start leaving the galaxy, uh, do you notice Spock was very intense he's sort of announcing what's happening and he's he's not being very spock he's loudly talking about sensors and deflectors and i love the inflection he puts on those words whatever he says sensor i it just makes me laugh i love it and later on he's talking about viewing someone on the monitor (laughs) i guess these were were these words that weren't really part of you know, the common vernacular in the 60s and the actors were free to put whatever spin on them they liked or is it just just um, Nimoy being a, a thespian? That's a good question. I like it anyway. So he's very, he's very intense. He, he's certainly got quite a lot of emotion in his delivery. The crew are bracing for maybe impact or... or they don't know what's going to happen as they approach this barrier, and we see um, Mr. Mitchell while he's flying the the while he's piloting the Enterprise. He reaches out and holds hands with a female crewman. I'm not sure if she's a yeoman or an officer. 
it's not clear, but yeah, it just seems it's not very, um, not very professional, not very, not really. A, it doesn't look like a military operation on the bridge where people are holding hands. Yeah, she was just like hanging out on the bridge, standing right by the captain's chair. So that probably just looking great for NBC executives. Yeah, yeah. But she was in the trousers, not in the um, short skirt. Oh, there you go. That's interesting. So I think, and the Dr. Dennett's in the trousers, so they're all, everybody's in trousers this episode. Mm. Uh, and then all of a sudden as they pass through the barrier, there's lightning flashes and all the consoles catch fire or a heap of the consoles catch fire and um, the Enterprise is very badly damaged and uh, Mitchell and Dr. Dennett get zapped, um, but they both, both recover. And then the, the Enterprise is able to back out of the, the barrier, but it's very badly damaged and uh, they've only got impulse engines now. So they're stuck in a very remote part of space on the edge of the galaxy and uh, they've got to make a very slow trip back to safety and back to somewhere where they can do repairs. So Gary's eyes go this freaky sort of silver, you know, reflective sort of bright color um how do you do that back in the day contact lenses i guess yeah full contacts which i can't imagine would have been very comfortable i mean even now when actors have to wear those they complain about them and and you'll see like when we first see him in in sick bay he's like he's barely opening his eyes in a lot of it yeah. and that must be why yeah yeah because it looks like he's got like aluminum foil on his eyes which yeah can't be that but it looks painful because even around his eyes looks very red for the rest of the episode yeah they're pretty pretty thick mm. contacts whatever they are I mean, even, I, the- even you know even 25 years later brent spiner would have problems with the ones ones he had to wear as data yeah and they'd just basically just be coloured contacts for Brent, wouldn't they? Yeah. Well, because because they they cover they're those contacts that cover the entire eye, and it makes it like incredibly difficult to see. Just, I meant to look up when did people start wearing contacts? Because I'm guessing disposable contact lenses weren't a thing in the in the sixties. There we go. Some German guy created the first glass blown contact lens in 1887. Oh, wow, that's a lot earlier than I would have thought. That would have been pretty frightful to wear. (laughs) (laughs) So Gary's sent to the sick bay, and Kurt goes to check in with him, and Gary's acting pretty weird. He's very smug, a little bit creepy all of a sudden, Uh, and he's he's basically speed-reading through all of the ship's uh, library. Uh, So he's, he's obviously got some sort of increased intelligence or an aptitude for getting all of the knowledge that he can. And we get a bit of banter between him and Kirk. Um, We find out Kirk was a teacher at the academy. I didn't know that before. Did you guys? That, no, that I believe has been established at least at some other point in Star Trek because it's something I vaguely had a recollection of. 
Gary can manipulate objects with his mind now, so he, he starts mucking around with a vital signs monitor in the sick bay and plays dead. Yeah, and Spock is some monitoring all of this from the bridge, so that's a bit creepy. Yeah, so Spock's watching him and saying, I can see him on the monitor. <laughs> One thing I did like is both when we see Spock looking at the medical records and also when we see uh, Gary reading it's basically i mean it looks like uh, it's like on microfish or something like it's yeah. not nice. it's not like super you know technology or anything like that it looks like just like scrolling through like scans of paper i've forgotten about microfish man that was the best thing about every 80s movie People going to the library and going get, getting on the microfish <laughs> would anyone had to like yeah would anyone had to look at newspapers yeah, yeah, yeah. How far we've come. Remember at school, we just, everyone tried and just grab bugs and stuff and jam them in the microfiche to see what they look like on the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's something I'd completely forgotten about. Uh, so what else does Gary do? He um, starts operating the ship's controls and... Um, Spock notices on his monitor that um, Gary does a creepy smile whenever he's, you know, changed something with the controls. Uh, Gary feels like a drink, so he makes a cup move to the tap and makes the tap pour him a drink with his mind and then the cup goes floating across the room to him. Gary's definitely good at being creepy because he has a scene Ooh, yeah. with um, Elizabeth, the doctor, He's so creepy. Like in in the medical bay, him and and her, it's just super super creepy. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's, they do a good job of establishing his character to start off with. Like he seems like quite a nice guy and a you know a, good, a really good friend of Kirk's. You know, they have a bit of history um, and a bit cheeky and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, he's he's not affable at all and you know pretty sort of creepy. So Gary's ment- mental ability is increasing exponentially. So he's getting smarter and smarter, and Spock's starting to get worried. Like he realizes that Gary's getting very, very intelligent. He's getting sort of, and he's obviously getting godlike powers where he can manipulate the objects and things around him. And um, Spock realizes that Gary doesn't have the wisdom for this power. Humans aren't ready as a species for that kind of power and ability. Spock's ready to kill this dude right away. Like, basically, as soon as he's acting the slightest bit weird, Spock's ready to kill him. There's a few episodes where I wish Spock was ready to kill some of the characters (laughs) early on. Yeah, I guess, and this is a good introduction to Spock's cold logic, where Spock, he's called the situation very early on in the episode and um, it just takes time for humans to make sure it's the and for Kirk to realise it is the only option. Well, it's a very un-Starfleet thing to do, to just go, nah, kill him. (laughs) Yeah, but Spock has that. Well, I guess there's a couple of options. So 
they're in the middle of nowhere. They had star bases that before with you know warp engines were only days away, but now at impulse power, it's going to take them years to get anywhere. Uh, so there's there's a nearby planet called Delta Vega, which is a completely unmanned planet with an automated crystal mining operation. So there's two um, two benefits to going there. They can basically get some crystals to repair the warp engines and um, salvage whatever they can from the planet to get the ship up and running. And also, you know, one option Spock recommends is you know dropping Gary off on the planet. But Spock's pretty keen to um, to eliminate Gary before he gets too powerful. So Gary is now reading everyone's mind on the ship, and he knows Spock Spock wants him killed, which is pretty tense. And he shoots electricity out of his hands like Raiden from Mortal Kombat or um, the Emperor from Star Wars. So he's got Force Lightning. Electric shrapnel. Electric shrapnel, yeah. There's a deep cut. Any Steel Wars fans out there, that's, that's very niche. Probably my favourite thing that's ever happened on Steel Wars. Um, so he zaps Kirk and Spock, uh, but Dr. Dennett's there and she talks him down. So Dennett, actually, I didn't mention this before. So when we first meet Dr. Dennett on the bridge, um, we get a bit of banter between her and um, Gary and we realise that uh, they've got a bit of history. They don't particularly get along too well. I don't know if if they've dated or something in the past or they've just worked together and annoyed one another because Gary's a bit cheeky. But Dennett seems to be, she's obviously fascinated in human behaviour and ESP as a psychologist and um, she... She was. She really takes a very sympathetic view of Charlie, of Gary. Yeah. Sorry, not Charlie. Yeah, she. Bloody Charlie X. Mm. She definitely thinks he could be like the next stage of evolution. So she's very pro this change. And at one stage, it's like people with ESP aren't aren't dangerous, Captain. That's it. Yeah. So she really wants to see where this can take humanity. Yeah. So. Dr. Dennett is very pro-Gary and Spock is anti-Gary, so I guess that's our brain's trust for the episode and Kirk's in between with the two points of view. So Dr. Dennett's able to talk Gary down, um, stop him zapping people for a little while. Gary talks about wanting a world to use, so he's really sort of becoming a god and while he's going on a rant about being a god, Kirk and Spock manage to hit him and overpower him, and then the doc sedates him. And then they beam down to Delta Vega and put Gary behind a force field. So Kirk has his engineers rig up the building to explode. So basically, as a last resort, the lead engineer's got to hit a button and just blow the place sky high and neutralise Gary. Um, Gary zaps himself on the force field trying to get through it and then all of a sudden his eyes turn back to normal. So um, the guy's saying, oh, great, we've got a, got a chance to maybe a brief chance to overpower him. But all of a sudden they start glowing again. So that's too late. And he keeps testing the barrier and each time he keeps recovering quicker and quicker. 
Spock orders down a phaser rifle. I think that's the first time I've seen a phaser rifle. It's huge. So they're obviously, it is massive. They obviously, Spock obviously knows he needs a bit, he needs extra power to take down Super Gary. They use those some in Next Generation. Like a couple of times when there's like a really big thing, they go to the phaser rifles. Yeah, and with the Borg, I remember on first contact, they're walking around with the phaser rifles and um, cycling through the settings. Yeah, because the, cause the Borg will automatically adjust after they've been hit like once. Yes, yeah. Most of the landing party beam up to the Enterprise. They fix up the ship. Um, they're about ready to go. So I think the the engineers just there about to pack up, and then all of a sudden, um, I say all of a sudden a lot. I need to come up with something new, <laughs> like a primary school kid retelling a story. Gary uses his mind power to lift up a cable and strangle the engineer, and then he walks free. He walks straight through the force field. So now he's loose on the planet, and uh, Dennett's eyes start glowing. So the um, shock that she got earlier has taken a bit longer to kick in, and I believe that's because Gary had a higher ESP score than her, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, he was he was a stronger Asper, which is a term they use a lot. Asper. It <laughs> really just. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, and Spock's down with the whole ESP thing. So, in uh, in this universe, it's a legitimate science. Well, the Vulcans do have um, not exactly telepathic powers, but they do have strong mental powers. It's not established yet, but they do. Oh yeah, because they have the mind melt. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm like Emily, I can I can accept that in an alien that has, like Vulcans obviously have superior brains and different abilities. Uh, but we obviously know ESP and parapsychology is not, you know, not a validated science, if I can put it in a polite way. <laughs> um, let me see. So, okay, so Dennett, uh, Dennett is... Um, becoming like Gary, but it's early days, so she's still she's less aggressive, I guess, and um, still has some human qualities. Um, Mitchell uses his powers to create an oasis on the planet for him and Dennett, and uh, Kirk confronts uh, Gary with the uh, phaser rifle. Gary uses his powers to create a grave for, for Kirk with a James Kirk um, Did you headstone. notice the middle initial? It I wasn't, didn't. I, I was, yeah, I'm going to go back. It wasn't James T. Kirk. It was James K. Kirk. Yeah. James K. Kirk. K for Kyberius. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Good, good spot. Um, maybe Gary didn't know. He didn't have time. He just had to improvise. Yeah, that'll do. He'll. Uh, <laughs> Kevin, it. yes. Your middle name's Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> Kevin Kirk. 
Go on, Gary. At least spell the tombstone right. Um, blah, 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 blah. So they have a bit of a fight. Um, Gary keeps using his powers to break rocks off cliffs and try and crush Kirk, and it's pretty exciting. Um, Kirk, uh, he's successfully turns Dr. Dennett against Gary, and they have a bit of a, a zappy electric shrapnel fight. And uh, that manages to, yeah, Dennett man- manages to weaken Gary before she's you know, apparently mortally wounded. And then uh, while Gary's um, a bit knocked around, Kirk manages to shoot uh, shoot at the cliff with his laser cannon and manages to crush Gary. And Kirk's shirt is ripped. Can we just establish that? That Kirk's shirt is ripped, the classic torn shirt that Kirk gets in fights. He gets a- <laughs> like every episode. He gets a lot of torn shirt. I know I snuck ahead to the next episode and the doctor just grabs his collar and rips his shirt to give him a, an injection <laughs> on the way past. So he's, he's got to have a ripped shirt. That's a prerequisite apparently. Yeah, like, and it's just this fascinating just off-the-shoulder rip so you can just see the collarbone. It- <laughs> Just a little yep. something for the ladies. That sweet <laughs> collarbone action. Uh, and we end up back on the bridge with Kirk um, updating Mitchell and Dennett's service records, and he's basically leaving out all the bad stuff that happened. And you know, just basically says for, for Mitchell, he didn't he didn't ask for any of this to happen. Um, so Kirk's a pretty. I like Kirk. Um, He's I'm gonna, I'm, he's growing on me as a captain. How do you guys feel about Kirk? I, I've liked him in the episode we've seen so far, and I I wonder if part of my dislike for him is by the time the movies came around, and and also like going by what I know later in the series, I'm too Shatner's. Shatner's ego was so big and he had enough clout to basically insist that Kirk was was infallible and like everything had to be about Kirk and I so I, I think seeing this earlier Kirk that might be why I like him more is because it's before that happened yeah fascinating well we'll have to see if that ego sort of creeps in as we get through you know the, the next yeah, couple of series he's definitely more willing to listen to everyone's ideas not just going off on his own so he doesn't like what spock's suggesting about just leaving gary on the planet but he's definitely listening and and going ahead with okay if we have to we'll be ready to do it he doesn't like it but he listens and does it whereas i think later kirk would be like nah not doing that. It's my way or nothing. Shatner was in. What other things was Shatner in? Like he was. He was in T.J. Hooker with Heather Locklear, the yeah. police, the cop show, wasn't he? Yeah. Was that prior? That would have been after the first couple of Star Trek movies, I'm guessing. 
or first for you? Was early 80s? It's got to be. It's such an 80s show. Oh, 1982. Yeah. So that would have been after the motion picture. Yeah, because motion picture was about 78, 79. Yeah. 79, Star Trek, the motion picture, and Wrath of Khan was 82. Any other other movies or series we know Shatner from? Boston Legal. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Years later, of course. Um, a couple episodes of the Twilight Zone. Um, famously, the uh, the creature on the airplane wing. Oh yes. But also, oh, I can't remember the name of it. There was another one he was in that was so good. It's one of my favorite ones where they're um in this diner and there's this little like fortune telling machine. One thing that's I mean, she's not in this episode, but the last couple of episodes, one thing that has surprised me was how much um, Yeoman Rand was in it. Yeah. Um, next episode is a big Yeoman Rand episode too. Does she just, like, disappear at some point? Because I, I mean, I know she exists, but I never really, like, thought of her as a Star Trek character. We'll have to have to keep our eyes out. We'll start Rand Watch or Beehive Watch. <laughs> it's pretty solid. Have you seen a better Beehive on any other actress? It's it's pretty spectacular. I th- I think you'd have to go to like RuPaul's Drag Race to see bigger beehives. Oh yeah, I think it could support an actual bee colony. <laughs> Um, nurse Chapel, I was just wondering because there, there is there's a woman, either a nurse or a yeoman, that has a crush on Spock in later episodes, an unrequited crush. Um, is that Nurse Chapel or is that someone else? Wait until next week. Wait until next week, okay. Because that, that comes up in um, the naked time. Of course it does. How did I miss that? I just watched that yesterday. It's probably on my phone. <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on in that episode. It's a weird one. Yeah, there is a lot going on. It, oh, it's... Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, it's... We get classic moments like Sulu with his shirt off sword fighting. <laughs> but the... Oh, the drunk Irishman singing all the way through it. Kill me. Well, he's not drunk, but he seems like he's drunk. The Next Generation version of that, um, which is The Naked Now, is the first episode of Star Trek I ever saw. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, that's the episode that got me into Star Trek when I was like seven years old. Because it's like the second episode. They they jump into it really quickly. Is it a better episode? (laughs) It's got data being fully functional. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I've seen all of Next Generation, but my memory's foggy. I know it had a bit of a shaky start for the first half a season or so. Ah, uh, I'd I'd stretch that into the second season as well. 
Yep. But part of that's not their fault in that there was a writer's strike um, uh, okay. in the second season. So, yeah, what was coming out was not great. Um, but, yeah, third season, it, it's real solid from then on. Basically, my rule, like when I used to watch reruns, like after school, my rule was if Riker doesn't have a beard, don't bother watching it. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah. Have you ever seen the meme? There's a meme about um, how to measure your beard in, in, on the Riker scale. <laughs> so it basically shows different shots of Riker. So, you know, zero Rikers to start off with, one Riker for his normal beard. And then it goes up to four Rikers, which is when I think he's or something's gone wrong on the ship and he's basically looks like um, Tom Hanks on Castaway. <laughs> <laughs> looks very disheveled. And if you... If you- if you've never seen the clips of the Riker maneuver, which is just a supercut of him sitting down in chairs with doing the weird thing where he like swings his leg over the back of the chair, <laughs> nice. look that up. It's amazing. Nice. That's my afternoon sorted. Has anyone done a supercut of his tromboning? I'm sure like it's out mix? there. Oh, man. I'm sure it's out there. I've got a friend that teases me for all my nerdy pursuits and he's never really seen Star Trek but he caught an episode on TV late at night and he just saw Riker playing the trombone. <laughs> he's like what the hell is this show? You like you're just a guy cruising around a spaceship playing the trombone all the time. So he loves teasing me about the trombone show. Can't wait to catch up with him about that I'm now doing a podcast about it. Um, who's your favourite musician in Star Trek? Spock on the Vulcan lute or Riker on the trombone or Kirk on that weird flute he gets when he lives a whole entire life on a planet. That was Picard. Oh, Picard. What did I say? Kirk, sorry. Picard on the flute. That's, oh, man, the inner light. That's That's such a good good. episode. Isn't it? Oh, man, I can't wait till we get to Next Generation. Let's definitely not do the animated series. Anything else about this episode? Just that it's yet another God Power episode. Yeah, it's definitely been a theme. So I'll be happy to get into episodes that's not about godlike powers. That's more of a sci-fi type of type of problem. Yeah, I really want to see more planets. Yep. It was good at the end of this episode to just to get down to another planet and see a set for something different. Yeah, and the set was impressive and the um the matte painting at the back was really detailed and I thought really really, really good. The sets are always beautiful. They do do like the matte painters back in the day did a tremendous job. Yeah, like I have no artistic bone in my body, but I can really appreciate, you know, the detail that they put into that for just a background shot of a television show. Yeah, and they, they're really, you know, they're really, it's incredible. They, they are actually creating a, uh, a believable world. Yeah. So, Catherine, you've you've watched all of Discovery, all of the first yes. series, I believe. Yes. We better have no spoilers for Linda. Linda's 
Have you, Linda, you've seen one episode? Oh, is that that's right? like, look, even if you, I, I've seen one episode, I don't even know anybody's characters' names, so spoilers aren't even going to have an effect on me because I don't know who anyone is. Go. The, um, you guys were talking about Mirror Universe early on this episode, um, I think in Deep Space Nine. The Mirror Universe, and spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Discovery, just skip forward. 10 or 20 seconds or something. <laughs> um, the mirror universe in Discovery, is that the same sort of mirror yes. universe? Yes, because it's the Terran Empire, yeah. Yeah, and we, we encounter those in this first season, I think, of the original series. Mm. Definitely early on yeah. in the original series, we encounter yeah. um, uh, the yeah. fascist equivalent of, the, of um, Starfleet. But I can definitely recommend to people, yes, the um, opening two-hour episode of Discovery is a bit jarring, but definitely keep watching. Keep watching. Do yourself a favour. Tremendous advice. <laughs> and, I, Catherine, I have you to thank for encouraging me to keep going, so thank you very much. I, I ended up loving the series. Yeah, it was great. It was really fantastic. So I can't wait till you're all caught up and we can um, geek out at all the moments that were fantastic in Discovery. So we're, we're lucky over here in Australia and I think everywhere other than the US gets it on Netflix. Uh, whereas if you're in the US, you have to get is it CBS All Access, so you have to have to pay for another streaming service. Yeah, that's why I haven't seen it, because I'm not paying for CBS All Access, because what else would I possibly watch on CBS All Access? Do you get a month free? Oh, I should see. If you get a free month, it would be worth quickly binging <laughs> on Discovery. That's true. That's true. I mean, even if it's just a free week, I could probably, if I choose a week with like a long weekend, I could probably get it all in. Well, I've just started production on the second series, so maybe you could even... Wait, wait a year or something and jam two seasons in. It's pretty good. <laughs> I think the, the hardest thing, talking to most people, the hardest thing to get past is weird-looking Klingons. Yes, I have to agree, and that never quite went away for me, that the Klingons annoyed me. Yeah, and there's – so there's there's a lot of scenes where they're talking in Klingon and you've got subtitles, which, which is interesting, but – did the, did the Klingons sound very different to you? They sounded different to me. There was a quality to their voice that definitely, yeah, sounded a bit different, especially the main Klingon whose name I can't quite remember. His voice was definitely a bit strained or something. I'm, I'm far more used to Worf and the other Klingons of that generation with the sort of deeper voices like Kapla and, um, and, and that type of Klingon. So these Klingons, yeah, were a little bit off for me. And I, I have to admit that I didn't know which Klingon was which. Yeah, it got confusing. Mm. Um, I think Worf and the next generation Klingons, they'll always be my definition of what a Klingon is. Yeah, yeah. Same here that... Um, Worf and the Klingons we see through that era, um, yeah, they're definitely the Klingons I identify with because 
Michael Dorn even played his ancestor in what is it, Star Trek Six. He was the um, attorney for Kirk and McCoy. Oh wow! <laughs> is that the one where they get sent to a, like a penal colony on a? Is it like an ice planet? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. With okay. a man. Oh, that's right. Oh man, I want to watch these. <laughs> want to watch these movies again. So good. Um, yeah, and and the I guess the as we watch through this these series, like there's very there's always been very different interpretations of what a Klingon is. When we meet um, the Klingons later in this first season of the original series, they're they're basically just like humans. Um, they don't have any of the sort of weird bone structure or anything. They've just got you know dark beards and eyebrows, I think, or something. They just yeah. just look a bit more threatening. Yeah. But they're humans. Yeah. And they talk like mm. Enterprise um, tried to explain why they looked like that, whereas um, Worf in Deep Space Nine just left it as, we don't discuss it with outsiders. Ah, uh, okay. Which I thought was the better way to do it. Yeah. Rather yes. than trying to retcon it. Yeah. Whereas the, if you haven't seen Discovery, the Klingons in Discovery, uh, they've, they've done a bit of a similar thing with some of the some of the new Star Wars movies and things and comics where they've gone back to original concept art. So apparently the the, the Klingons we see are some sort of early concept art for Klingons. But yeah, very jarring. But I I did like Discovery and I love. I think I want it. Um, their T-shirt that they wear when they're running around the um, ship exercising, it just says disco at the front. Yeah. It's awesome. That is for sale. Yeah. Got a bit of a shop over at CBS. Um, yeah, like it looks great and it's um, a departure from, you know, your normal Star Trek episodes that are – or your traditional Star Trek episodes that are all self-contained, standalone. It's It's mm. – it's a, um, it's a, you get a story arc that goes across the series. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. Very dark. Um, it's weird to see Star Trek crew sort of, I think there is swearing, isn't it? I can't think. Oh, yeah. They're swearing. Yeah. That's right. They're swearing and doing drugs and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Getting us ready for the, the Tarantino, the, R-rated Tarantino movie, if it ever happens. When we were talking about the Tarantino movie last week, we're like, well, that movie might not ever happen. But we did just get the announcement of the new director for the next movie, which is going to be like a direct follow-up for the for the reboot. It's going to be in the, the quote-unquote, the Kelvin universe. Um, and it's S.J. Clarkson, so we're getting a woman director... Um, she's done, I think, mostly TV before. She did a couple episodes. She did um, some Jessica Jones. She did some of The Defenders for Netflix. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. So that's that's exciting. So that's in the alternate timeline? Yes, it is. Uh, well, that's exciting. We'll have a movie to talk about soon. Let's open up the mailbag. Now, thank you very much to everyone that sent us through emails. If you'd like to write into us, uh, shoot us an email at he'sdeadjimpod at gmail.com. 
and uh, I've been slack. I've been forgetting to actually open up the mailbag uh, before we record, so we better catch up a bit. First email uh, we've got is from Thomas Meehan, uh, and Thomas says, Hello, I'm a new, new listener and love the first episode. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, keep up the fantastic work, and I can't wait to hear more. I hope uh, you'll talk about each series and each movie. Uh, and he says, my favourite series are the original series and The Next Generation. And uh, my favourite movies are The Wrath of Khan, The Voyage Home, Generations, Nemesis. Excellent. Finally, another person that likes Nemesis other than me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Into Darkness and Beyond. So excellent choices for movies there. Uh, what do you reckon, Lindo? If we if we survive through the original series, um, will we talk about the movies? I think that would make sense. I mean, I'd love to do that. I mean, if we're if we're still doing it and people are still listening, then we might as well. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, maybe once we get you know to the end of the first season, maybe we could dip in and check out a movie. Maybe we could do it now and then as yeah. a special. Or do we have to stick to release order, Catherine? Oh, release order makes the most sense rather than jumping backwards and forwards, especially if you want to track Kirk's um, development into into the Shatner. <laughs> well, maybe, okay, so we've got a, three seasons of the original series um, and... We're going to skip the animated series. We might do one episode on it. And then I guess then we can do a movie if we're going to stick to release order. Yeah. Catherine, you said earlier your favourite movies, The Wrath of Khan and what was the other one? Um, of the original um, series, Wrath of Khan, Voyage Home. I love Voyage Home. Um, first contact and and six. What is it? Undiscovered oh. country. Undiscovered country. Yes, thank you. Yes, yeah. Especially for you know Klingons, Christopher Plummer as a Klingon spouting Shakespeare. It's awesome. Didn't we get um, Doc from Back to the Future as a Klingon as well in one of them? Yes. Yes, in um, three, search for Spock. Man, I um, I pretty much love I love all of the movies except the first one. I hate um, Star Trek the Motion Picture. I'm slow, but Vijer, Vijer. Oh no, terrible! Um, I like the idea of bringing like the Voyager probe into it. But um, yeah, I just and I also hate the the the, the dad from Seventh Heaven's on it, so that's another good reason to hate it. <laughs> well, the mum from Seventh Heaven is in the Voyage Home. The Voyage Home, and she's great, so that's yeah. another reason to love the Voyage Home. <laughs> Anyone else from Seventh Heaven in Star Trek? Jessica Biel. <laughs> I think, Linda, we've talked about favourite movies, but do you like Thomas's picks? Wrath of Khan, Voyage Home, Generations, 
Nemesis into darkness and beyond? I mean, I don't, I don't love Nemesis, but I think those are pretty solid picks. Yeah. What's not to love? Yeah, not many people like um, Nemesis, but I'm Thomas. You and I have that in common. So thank you very much for your email, Thomas, and thank you for listening. Here's one from uh, someone called Catherine Neen. <laughs> Catherine, would you like to read out your question or would you like me to read it out? Oh, you read it out. <laughs> Here's one from friend of the show, Catherine Neen. Hi, Emily and Mick. Am I the only one who dances to the psychedelic opening of Trek, the original series? Uh, the Wailing Voice is my favourite. Are there any episodes you particularly are particularly looking forward to watching in this rewatch? Uh, any that you are dreading? Um, I I really like that. I don't dance along, but my wife sings along to it in a very loud operatic style. Um, the other day, Amazing. the other day I was watching. She could hear the theme starting as I was watching an episode where she's just walking into the front door to the house and she started blasting out the, the operatic wailing from outside. <laughs> nice. Um, Come on, it's awesome. It's so psychedelic. I can't, I can't, I'm loving it. Keep going. Don't stop. I, w- I won't join in because I don't want to destroy everyone's um, day. <laughs> but, no, I was enjoying that. Um, what style of dancing what, uh, do you tend to do to it? Oh, this one is definitely a, you know, just sort of running around the room with your hands in the air waving. Nice. Side. Is this sort of like some interpretive dance with jazz hands? Yes, always interpretive. Spirit things? Yes. Nice. I like it. I might, I'll, I'll give it a shot next time. This could be my new Star Trek-based exercise. <laughs> Star Trek calisthenics. I'll get some streamers and hoops. How about you, Lindo? Do you dance along to the theme? I don't, but I understand why people do. It's pretty, pretty danceable. I like it. Yeah, it's. I think you could bust out a bit of a fast foxtrot to it. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that at a dance, a ballroom dancing competition. People doing a, a a mumbo or something. Uh, I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it has. Um, what about you, Lindo? Any? I have to call you Emily. Lindo is a trademark of the Steel Wars podcast. <laughs> what about you, Emily? Do you um, do you have any other theme songs you sing along to or dance along to? I mean, I'm trying to think what the best, like, any theme song. I mean... Any theme song. I mean, the DuckTales one is pretty fucking great. Oh, so good. Man, that's awesome. The And, uh... The Alias theme song? Oh, I don't remember the Alias theme song. It's just like a, um, dance track. I can't do it, sorry. But... Actually, I like the um, uh, NCIS. It's got sort of a dance tune as well. Yeah, Alias, you know, has is thumping with different shots of Jennifer Garner in different wigs. That's yes, right. Yep. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. 
pretty cool. I think um, TV theme songs could my it could be my favorite style of music. Are there so the other part of her question there? Are there any episodes you're particularly looking forward to or particularly dreading? I'm looking forward to um, the Gorn. That's my favorite episode. Yes, <laughs> massive giant lizard in like a Power Rangers outfit, and so much hissing. I just find it hilarious. It's my favorite thing. Uh, and one we've got in a few episodes time is, uh, the Balak episode. I don't know if I know that one. Um, you would know if you saw, you can buy a Balak mask. I think there's even an episode of Big Bang Theory where Sheldon or somebody has a Balak mask. Oh, that's the one with Clint Howard. And who is Clint Howard? Forgive my ignorance. Ron Howard's brother. He's in all of his movies. And that's so he plays the boy. Yes, is that it? Or yes, you yeah. If you look up Clint Howard, wow. you, will, you will know you've seen him in a million things. I guarantee it. He's pretty distinctive. Yeah, so we get the Balak, who's a scary-looking alien who turns out to be just a puppet in front of a ca- our camera. I like that one for some reason. I just like I like the look of Balak. I might get, I might invest in a Balak mask for and a cloak for next Halloween. Um, so those are, those are the, the two in particular I'm looking out for. But there's this heaps. How about you, Lindo? Uh, City on the Edge of Forever. Yes. How about you, Catherine? Well, City on the Edge of Forever is a classic. It's wonderful. But I think, in a way, I'll be looking forward to you guys covering Spock's brain, the um, oh, God supposedly <laughs> worst episode ever. So I'll be looking forward to listening to that one. Would you like to come back for that one so you can share in our pain? I'll, I'll leave that up to you. But um... <laughs> Now that's – is Spock's brain, that's in season three, is it? Or late in season two? So we've got some good uh, good episodes coming up before then. Um, let's see. We got one from uh, Paul. Just, just says, just finishing listening to your first episode. It was really bloody good. Keep on keeping on and good luck. Thank you, Paul. Well, that's Paul Coogan's. I know Paul very well. Paul's from Brisbane via Scotland. This is a truly international podcast. Thank you very <laughs> much, Paul. Um, and then we got an email from Rob McKinnon, and it says, Hello, Mick and Emily. Thanks for starting this podcast. I'm a fan of both Star Trek and Star Wars, and I love the idea of going through the original series again one episode at a time and revisiting them from a fresh perspective. Emily, I liked hearing your opinion regarding Deep Space Nine, as this is one Star Trek series that I never really got into. I have been considering watching that series from beginning on Netflix to give it another chance, and after listening to your comments, you have given me more encouragement to check it out. I would like to return the favor and suggest to both of you that you give Voyage another chance. When it originally aired, I watched the first few seasons, then sporadically would check out episodes from time to time, but never really engaged with it. Thanks to Netflix, however, I was able to revisit it from the beginning. I'm currently one episode from one episode into the seventh and final season, and I have to say it's really quite good, and I think it has become my new favorite Trek series. I have not yet seen Discovery at all. The first three seasons have some great episodes, and the characters and relationships start to develop over the course of each season, 
and grow from episode to episode. But it really kicks into gear in season four, once Seven of Nine, the Borg drone that the crew suffers from the collective, joins the crew. This also coincides with the departure of Kess, a character that I found to be annoying and a bit boring. Yes, there are several Borg storylines, but they get increasingly interesting and are more than just, oh no, they're going to assimilate us runaway stories. Robert Ricardo as the emergency medical hologram is fantastic and he has easily become one of my favorite characters, along with Seven of Nine and Captain Janeway. For me, Captain Janeway is right up there with Captain Picard as the best Star Trek captain. She is friendly and compassionate with the crew, but also no nonsense and tough as nails when required. You definitely know that she's in charge. Thank you again for doing this podcast, and I look forward to continuing on this five-year, three-season mission with you. Live long and prosper. Thank you very much, Rob. I definitely echo that. You should get onto Voyager. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I love Voyager. I haven't, I haven't seen all of it, but uh, I did sort of start rewatching. Yeah, you know, I, I saw it during its first run on TV late night on Channel 9 um, here in Australia. But, um, yeah, I, I just basically did a rewatch. I think when it aired again on 10 in the last year or two, and or it might have been a few years ago now anyway, and I sort of got through the first season and a half. Uh, I really love it. I think some of my favourite characters in all the Star Trek are on there. I love the chef. Neelix. <laughs> Neelix, thank you. Got terrible names. Yeah, I love Neelix. Um, I actually, who's a character he didn't like? Kess. So that's, Kess hangs out with Neelix a lot. Yeah. Is that right? No, Kess hangs out with the Doctor. Um, which probably hangs out with everyone helping out. Kess came aboard with Neelix, so they're both from the Delta Quadrant. Um, ah, there you go. But Kess ends up helping the Doctor in the medical bay, um, yeah, with treating people because she becomes interested in medicine. Yeah, there you go. I actually it, really like Kess as a character. Is she, like, like, telepathic or have some sort of power or something, or am I completely making that up? No, she she does have some kind of um, mental power, and it develops more and more as the season goes on. The one interesting thing about her is that her species is very short-lived, so they only live to be about eight, seven or eight. So when she comes on board, she's like one and a half, and yet she's a fully grown woman. That's right. I had completely forgotten that. Her evolution is like part of the reason or part of the storyline about how she needs to leave the ship because she's yeah. evolving into something and wants to go and explore that or live a life or something. Yeah, or... yeah. she definitely evolves to where um, – she wants to explore the universe and not safe for the crew. So, again, some echoes with today's episode, um, but definitely handled differently. Yeah. She doesn't have a Vulcan trying to kill her. No, no. Tuvok, the Vulcan on Voyager, he's um, a, a mentor for Kess because he helps her develop her mental powers. Fascinating. Um, who else? I like. Like, I find Janeway very entertaining. I like. Always say I'd, I'd prefer to serve under Picard or Kirk as captains, just for. I, don't know, I find some of her find her similar to the captain on the Enterprise. Some of the decision making and things are erratic and adventurous. She just wants to jump in and do stuff. But 
but she's a great character. She's very entertaining. Yeah. Great actor. Yeah. Um, oh, she's fantastic. Um, Chicote is the um, first officer who he was originally Marquis and his ship got thrown into the Delta Quadrant and when they amalgamated crews, he became first officer. So his backstory is that he's a um, first American or Native American and um, his people had gone and lived on a planet um, and the Cardassians came and and were taking it over and that's why he joined the Marquis. But it was interesting to see some some use of his, his backstory actually as part of the story in Voyager. Yeah, there's, a, there's an episode where, or at least one episode, where he has a few flashbacks to his youth. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, there's a few episodes of from a few characters where they have flashbacks to their youth. It's a bit of a trope, but, um, yeah, uh, he he's a very interesting character, um, some interesting acting choices that that he made, but I like him. You know, I always had the fan fiction. I'm sure I wasn't the only one that he and Janeway um, were boning. I'm <laughs> sure they were. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of, of Chakotay and Janeway fan fiction. There's also a lot of Seven of Nine and Chakotay fan fiction. Oh, really? From what I remember. Yeah. My fanfic days. What was the name of the the woman Klingon officer? Uh, Bolana Torres. Was Bolana was Bolana dating someone on the ship? Uh, Paris. Yeah, Tom Paris. Oh, that's right. Here's the pilot. Yeah. 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 Now she she was Marquis too. Yeah. Yes. It's a very inter- interesting bunch. The Marquis. You've got Klingons and Native Americans and everyone. Yeah, everyone was fighting the. Cardassians. No one seems to like them. Well, they do. I mean, they're not great in terms of their uh, intergalactic relations, I guess. No. I mean, no, I was always always fascinated by the Maki um, because we we first start to see them uh, with, with the next generation with Ensign Rowe, who was like one of my favorite Star Trek characters of all time, who was originally actually. Like they wanted that character to be the the major Kira character on Deep Space Nine, but Michelle Forbes turned it down, and that's when that's when Kira was created. Like that was originally going to be Roe. Thank you very much, Rob. I've got another email from uh, friend of the show, Catherine Neen. <laughs> uh, excellent. I'm glad that you um, raised these issues about Charlie X. So the, the app we watched last week, Charlie X, Catherine writes, why are the crew members slapping each other's bottoms? Excellent question, Catherine. What the hell are HR doing on the Enterprise? <laughs> is, is that, I don't know, I'm not, I don't, I've, I'm not an engineer. I've not, never worked no. in construction. Is that what happens? You finish a job and then you just slap one another on the ass? Most definitely not. Is that like a... Very weird. That's Like footballers do that, don't they? Yeah, it's far more like 
you see that in football or other sports. Like yeah, for no people. reason at the end of the game, they all slap one another on the ass. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm generalising, not everybody. So, yeah, excellent. I don't know why that is, but I guess that's a good way for Charlie to witness a weird behaviour and then implement it incorrectly when he slaps Showman Rand on the ass. Um, WTF is the gym and why are they doing cartwheels? Exactly. <laughs> it looks like they're doing calisthenics or something. That looks like the start of a rock of Stedford or yeah. something. But they were just like these line of people doing cartwheels through the gym. Yep. It was it was weird. And yep. No weights, no spin class, no Pilates. Just... Yeah, wrestling and strange things hanging off the walls and cartwheels. Yeah, yeah. I like it. It's entertaining. Mm. Um, but definitely Jim's Jim's very different on the Enterprise. Um, did you just see Shatner's undies? I, <laughs> I saw a hell of a lot of Shatner <laughs> in those red tights. Um, I don't know if I noticed his undies, but... How about you, um, Emily? Did you see Shatner undies? I don't know. I don't know. I was too focused on the bulge to uh, think about undies. <laughs> oh, man. So exciting. So, um, Catherine, did you spot Shatner undies? Was he wearing Calvin Klein's? No, there were. Uh, there was like a good couple of inches above the waistband at the back of of underwear and I was like what the hell come on <laughs> no I don't need to see that oh man intergalactic wedgie <laughs> so you have the tags sticking out and everything oh, it wasn't quite that bad but it was definitely you definitely saw the underwear because the red tights weren't super high so they were hanging a bit low so you saw the underwear over the top. Nice. Maybe that's just handy as a wrestling move so you can do an atomic weapon. Yeah, I suppose it's better than seeing uh, Shatner crack, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Catherine goes on to write, I keep forgetting the weird lighting that lights only the eyes. So is this in reference to the close-ups of Charlie? And, and close-ups of Kirk as well, where they they have this very soft lighting, but it's very much directed on the eyes, and then the rest is, you know, a bit more in shadows. You, it's, it's very different lighting to what we'd see today, and I really only ever see it in, in Trek. But keep your eye out for it for close-ups of um, Kirk in particular, where they light his eyes. Oh, I have to keep an eye out. I have to pay more attention. I'm, I'm not... This podcast is helping me be slightly more observant. I'm typically a super unobservant person. <laughs> it's very good. I'll keep an eye out for it. And these first couple of episodes are definitely strange ways to start a series. I would agree. Um, Charlie X has no business being at the front of the series. 
no, I, I can't see them as ways of attracting new viewers that, yeah. that I can definitely understand this one being the pilot to attract people in. But yeah, those first couple of episodes, yeah, strange choices to being the first episodes that you're showing. Well, definitely the rejected pilot, The Cage, was a better episode than Charlie X. I thought The Man Trap was okay. I was cool with The Man Trap being the first episode. I mean, I, I like The Man Trap. I still think it's weird as a first episode. Yeah, it's weird. They, it's weird this, when No Man Has Gone Before, ended up being number three. And we'll have to, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch the star dates and see how they jump around. Is it a bit like... Um, the Clone Wars series where they just, rather than telling uh, like a, the series in a sequential order, they just jump around to all sorts of different events in the timeline. Yeah. Have they worked out uh, what the star dates mean yet? Or are they just saying random numbers? Excellent question. Excellent question. I'll have to have to do a bit of research. Well, thank you very much for everyone writing in. Um, if you'd like to send us an email, our email address is he'sdeadjimpod at gmail.com. And also hit us up on the socials. We're at he'sdeadjimpod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So we'd love to hear from you. And thanks very much for all the support we've had for our brand new podcast. Yeah, it's, it's great. I, I've enjoyed listening to it. So well done. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Catherine. What would you like to plug, Catherine? Um, well, the Star Walking um, podcast, Star Talking, comes out once a month. But um, you can follow me on Twitter um, at Catherine underscore name. Wonderful. Now, I, yeah, I highly recommend joining. If you're a Star Wars fan and you're in, you're in Australia, you should join um, the Star Walking group. Look them up online. Emily Lynn, do you have anything exciting coming up in your 100 podcasts that you do each week? <laughs> um, it's only it's only three right now. It might be four again soon. Um, I do a Star Wars podcast called the Canto Bite Dispatch, and I do a uh, X Men Universe podcast that's right now focusing on Legion, since that's currently airing its second season. And that is called Pod of Future Cast. Um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at EFLind. That's at E-F-L-I-N-D. Very cool. I highly recommend checking those out. Actually, I will ask as a Twin Peaks fan, I'll ask about the, the fourth podcast. Any word as when, uh, about when How's Annie's coming back? Mm, we want to do it. It's sort of finding time. But, but we're Charlie and I are talking about it, and um, we want to have uh, Mickey, who was on several of our episodes um, towards the end, like she was on basically every episode, we want to have her on as a permanent co-host. So just keep an ear out. We'll, we'll announce it eventually. Wonderful. We, have to, we must end this Star Trek podcast immediately so you can get to recording about Twin Peaks. <laughs> Yeah, let me talk about another show that's been off the air for several decades. Uh, only a year. Well, not even a year yet. We got Well, yeah, but no, but we're going to go back to. We're going to go back to season one. Yeah. 
I'm excited to watch it again. I'm a big fan. A lot of that's thanks to you guys, actually. Twin Peaks was always the thing that you know, a lot of people had said it was great and I you know, had it in uh, on my to-do list to watch, but uh, it was encouragement from you guys to, to get in and watch it again, and I really enjoyed the, the new season too. Oh, that's cool. Do as that? weird and wonderful as it is. So, yeah, if, you, if you're a Twin Peaks fan um, and I, I guess most of the How's Any... I guess your original season of the How's Any podcast was about the rebooted season of Twin Peaks. Yeah, we did. We did like a couple of episodes beforehand that were just sort of covering the original series and Firewalk with me, and then we did weekly episodes as we watched the third season. Yeah, so if you're a Twin Peaks fan like me, definitely check that out. Very cool. I think that's that's about us for this week. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much, Catherine, for being our first ever guest on Who's Dead, Jim? Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge of Star Trek with us and answering all these vague questions I have. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you all, always, Emily Lind, for uh, talking Star Trek with me every week. It's a lot of fun. Still haven't got a sign-off yet. (laughs) Until next time, we have no sign-off. Bye. Bye.